0: Today we're starting a new series that will last through the fall and will eventually take us to the book of Revelation. Be afraid, be very afraid. Um, It's called Surviving San Francisco, and the thesis of the entire city, the thesis of the entire city of the entire series, sorry, is this: the church cannot be the church in San or uh, uh, in San Francisco. Next slide. The church cannot be the church in San Francisco until it is the church out of San Francisco. The church cannot be the church in San Francisco until it's the church out of San Francisco. And by out of San Francisco, I do not mean leave. Like, get out of San Francisco. That's not what I mean. We hope that most of you in this room will make a life here in San Francisco. Because actually, you can take that out, that, the word San Francisco out, and put in any other city in the world. And it would still be true. Or you can tidy, tidy it all up and say, the church cannot be the church in the world until it is the church out of the world. And the reason why I say that is because the scriptures say, have a big yes towards the world and a big no towards the world. There's a yes and no posture towards the world, or towards San Francisco, or whatever city you'd want to put in there, anything that you would place in there as a city, or this world, we kind of call it culture today, but that's not really what the scriptures call it. Like, the scriptures have a very good thing to say about the world, and a very bad thing to say about the world. Let me give you just a couple examples in the book we just finished, the book of John. Here's just a few. Here's a big yes towards the world. John 3.16, you might know it. For God so loved the world, That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is a big yes on the world. God loves the world. And as followers of God, we need to love this world the way Christ loved the world and came into it, was sent into it to die, to redeem, to save people in it. So there's a big yes towards the world, but there's also... We cannot forget, there is also a lot of no's. Just a couple verses later, verse 19. Jesus, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. 823. Again, Jesus, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Chapter 15, verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. 17.9. I pray for them. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 18.36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. There is a big yes and also a no towards the world. Jesus came into the world to redeem people out of the world but leave them in the world as witnesses to a coming world. This is very very important. A kingdom that even though you may many of you might not know it, every soul longs for the kingdom of God. Every soul longs for the city of God. Every so longs for the world of God. But until we understand the out of San Francisco part that God has called us, Christ has called us out of the world, we cannot understand what it means to be faithful witnesses in San Francisco. Until we understand our called outness, how Christ has called us out of San Francisco, we cannot be faithful witnesses in San Francisco. Are you with me? That's what this is about. That's what we hope this is about over the next several weeks. So, how do you survive in this city? I know that the title of this series is pretty provocative, and it's supposed to be. How do you survive in this city? How do you live here for a long time without becoming an absolute tool where you can be easily parodied in some HBO original series? I mean, there's a couple to choose from there. How do you live here without losing your moral compass? How do you live in San Francisco where everything is so, becomes so relative and so deconstructed that you have no center anymore? You have no backbone, no theological backbone, no moral backbone, no spiritual backbone. You just are a mush. How do you live here without just white-knuckling it until you build your resume or your portfolio or you sell your company so you can buy your house in the suburbs because you just want to get the heck, the heck out of here? How do you do that? And just so you know... That's not the point of being a follower of God in San Francisco. Because by surviving San Francisco, I am not sit- talking about until you move. But more on that later. Or how do we just live here? Like if you have two kids, how do you make it here? Or three or four? How do you do that? How, your question is, well, how do you even just have a family here? Or if you're single, how do you live here? Like not just work here, but live here. Like make a life in this city. Now, these questions are not just for those in San Francisco. I think they strike at the heart of just living in this world. And I'd like to posit today that in order to survive San Francisco, we need to have the hope of another city. I'm not like talking about some east Bay city like Walnut Creek or something. (laughs) Like, Like we need to have a hope for another city whose urban planner is God. We need to have a hope for the city of God. To have a vision for this city, to be faithful in this city, we have to have a vision for the coming city. We have to know what the coming city is going to be like. We have to know how God rules the coming city. We have to have hope for it and dream about it and pray for it and talk to people about it. For us to have a faithful witness and a heavenly sort of hope in this city, we have to have a vision for the coming city. We have to have a heavenly hope. This is what the scriptures talk about. And A heavenly hope might not mean what you think it means. So with that, Hebrews chapter 11, let me start. I'm going to start at verse 1. I'm just going to read verse 1. It's not on the screen. I didn't put it there. But we're eventually going to get to verse 8. But let me just, just give you some context by reading verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Verse 8, by faith. Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country he lived in tents as did isaac and jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is god and by faith even sarah who was just Sarah was Abraham's um, wife, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, Abraham, and he as good as dead, best description ever, and he as good as dead, he was old, that's why, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Let me pray. Isn't that great? Lord, I just pray over the scripture that you would give us a mind to understand it and a heart to grasp it. And then a life to like to live into it, Lord. Um, I always stand before this church uh, falling way short of what I preach. I think every preacher does to some extent. But this one is just way beyond this. And I pray you'd give us like supernatural strength to try to grasp at it, Lord. We pray together in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews 11 has been called the Hall of Faith chapter. So if you're looking for a hero, um, I, I suggest you turn to Hebrews 11. I mean, don't, I wouldn't turn to whatever, all the new superhero movies that are out on whatever now. This, this is the, actually the point of, of Hebrews 11, is to give the people of God examples to live into faith examples, heroes to inspire us to keep living this life of faith. And what's interesting in retelling these stories is that the author tells them through the eyes of faith because most of the people that he talks about in Hebrews chapter 11 had some flaws in their life. But what saw them through all of their flaws and all of their even points of unbelief was that their bigger picture of faith and belief and trust and obedience to God as they continued to walk with God. And the main character in Hebrews chapter 11 is Abraham, called the father of faith. And Abraham's remarkable. He's a remarkable figure because he's actually the key figure in three major world religions. He's a key figure in Judaism, in Islam, and in Christianity. I don't think you can say that about anyone else. And what the writer of Hebrew puts on display here in Hebrews 11 is that is that when Abraham met God, and this story is repeated or is, is looked at in, in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham meets God, God meets Abraham, or calls Abraham, and Abraham, for the first time, meets God. Like at this, at the, when, when Abraham meets God, at that point he was living in a place called Ur, and he was a, basically a moon worshiper, and he didn't worship God, and then one day God showed up to Abraham and said, Hi, I'm God, like the true God, the living God. The God of heavens and earth and everything created, I'm that God. And Abraham's like, cool, nice to meet you. And then God says, okay, this is the first thing I want you to do, I want you to leave. I want you to leave your security, I want you to leave your family, I want to leave your inheritance, leave everything and follow me. Now, I've all, I've, I, like to, I, I like to ruminate on this story a lot in my own head. I've often let my mind imagine what that was like. Like was it an audible voice? Like Abraham, or Abram is his original name. But Anyway, Abraham, hi, God, here. Is it a loud, booming voice? Was it like this thing that moved in his heart? Was it in his mind? How did he interact with God? The text doesn't say. It just says that he was, one day God's like, Abraham, this is, I'm God. Would you do something? And Abraham's like, what? Leave everything. Well, who are you? I'm God. Well, how do I know that? You don't. How do I I know I can trust you? You can't. How are you going to prove your track record? I won't. I want, but I want you to leave your home, your family, your security. I want you to leave everything. Where? I'm not going to tell you right now. And Abraham said, okay. And he's the example of a life of faith. Abraham says, okay, I will follow you. Abraham was told by God to leave everything. And then God told Abraham, I will bless you. Leave everything and I will bless you. And what makes Abraham so remarkable is that at this point in the story, Abraham knows nothing about who God is. He, know, he doesn't know about his character. He has no knowledge of his track record. He has done nothing to prove himself to Abraham. And what did Abraham have to go on? He had to go on, go. Trust me. I'll give you land. I will give you a son. And I won't prove to you how, but I will. Just leave. Now, if you are OCD or type A in here, this is where you start inserting, uh, I'm going to need a little bit more details here, God. Like when this stuff happens, you're like, okay, that's so good. Okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. But I need a little bit more details. Like, where am I going? He tell me at least where I'm going, and God doesn't tell him where he's going. He says, Go and I'll show you on the way. This is actually the phrase that's repeated over and over again in the life of Abraham. Go and I will show you. Go and I will show you. Once you take this step of faith, I'm going to complete it, I'm going to fill in the gaps, but you have to start moving forward. Go and I will show you. This is the clearest definition of faith. Abraham was told, leave your home. Where do I go? What did God say? Go, and I will show you. I'm going to give you a son. How are you going to give me a son, God? Go, and I will show you. I want you to sacrifice your son. Why, God? Go, and I will show you. Over and over and over again. This this was Abraham's life. And what makes him a hero in the faith is that he kept on saying, "Yes, God, I will follow you." I don't have all the things filled in. I mean, there was a little hiccup with the sun thing, but that they got beyond that eventually. I will go. And they he obeyed and he kept on obeying, kept on and so it says this in Hebrews, retelling the story, Hebrews 11:8. It says this. It's on the screen. By faith, when Abraham By faith, Abraham, when called to go to to a place, he would later receive as inheritance. I want you to go to a place that I'm going to give you as an inheritance later on. You don't even know the place you're going. It says, he obeyed and went, obeyed and went, even though, even though he did not know where he was going. This is like, this is, uh, these are heroes of the faith right here. He hears God, he don't know where he's going, he hears hears the promises of God, and then he keeps moving forward. And he keeps walking by faith and not by sight. He keeps hoping for the things that God promised. And then it says that he died, even though he never received it, but he died in faith. He didn't at the end of his life say, God never, never gave me what I wanted. He died going, I know that somehow God will reconcile this thing. There are things that God has told you, and you might die still wanting them, and somehow you might think that's unfair. That's a lie. That is not the life of faith. The life of faith is that somehow, some way, God will make, keep his promises. Somehow, some way, God will redeem this thing. Somehow, some way, God will figure out a way to flip this upside down and show me his plan, his will. He'll show, somehow, even if I die trying to grab it, this is the life of faith. And this is, for the people of God, there's no substitute for trust and obedience. There just isn't. In your life, there's no substitute for trust and obedience. And I would say most times obedience to God takes a ton of trust in God. I mean, we have the scriptures for, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. We have the scriptures. And a lot of times we don't understand why. Why does God say that? Why do I have to say yes to these things and no to these things? Why, why, and I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. It takes obedience and trust. I will obey even when I don't fully understand and I can't, and I have to wait for further details. That tension of like, okay, I'm going to obey God, but I know I have to wait here, and I might have to wait here for years and decades for further details, and I might not know where it's going, but I'm going to trust in God. And that's Abraham. And then it says in verse 9, by faith he made his home in the promised land. This is kind of where I want to camp out. This is, this is, um, this is interesting. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. Not intense, but like in, like camping, okay? Like tents. Okay, this is strange to me. And I, I don't want you to gloss over this. I want you to think about this. Like engage the mind here, and then we'll get to the heart in a second. Engage the mind. Okay, he got to where God called him to go. God, I'm going to call you to go into the, into the land I'm going to show you. And then once he gets there, God shows him, I'm giving you this land. And once he gets into the promised land, Abraham doesn't settle. It doesn't necessarily say that God told him, No, I don't want you to settle here. It says that when Abraham got into the land, he didn't settle down. He lived in tents. He lived a nomadic existence inside the promised land. This was the promised land. He never settled there. Why didn't he settle there? Why didn't Abraham go, this is where God has called me. I'm laying down roots. I'm building a foundation. I'm building a mansion. This is my place. I'm, I'm not going to roam anymore. I'm here. I'm in the promised land. This is the promised land. It says in verse 10, this is why. The reason why he didn't settle down was because he was looking forward to a city with foundations. Whose architect and builder was God. Abraham gets into the land he was called into. Abraham gets into the land that he was supposed to be at. Where God had led him. And he gets there. And Abraham looks around and says, this is is good. This is cool. Um, I'm waiting actually for a city with foundations. I'm actually looking for a city whose very urban planner is God. And you might be thinking, this is what I sometimes think when I read this, but God called him there. I mean, God called him to the promised land. God called him there. That was the, I mean, this was the stinking promised land. He should be like spreading out and going, this is it, I'm here. But Abraham knew something that, that we need to see through the eyes of faith. He knew that this place had no lasting foundation. Like, I know I'm called to San Francisco. Like, I spent a few weeks in Hawaii on my break, and all I thought of was San Francisco. I'm weird. You're like, you're really weird. And that and you need medical help for that. No one does that. But I did. I dream- I like love, I'm, I know I'm called here. But I, I, you, as you're called here and I'm called here, we have to live in this city, awaiting a city that's from God, because this city has no lasting foundations, this world has no lasting foundations. Your, your marriage won't last. One of you will eventually die. You actually write that into your vows, you know, that I vow to stick with you through thick and thin, through the most horrific thing you will go through or I will go through until death. And then that will separate us. Your family won't necessarily last. You might have them all together, but your kids will eventually move out. And some of you guys are going, God, please, hurry. Like, whatever, like, that won't last forever. Your job won't last. This economic uptick in this city won't last. Everyone knows that, but we don't want to really believe that. Your money won't last. Your community won't last. Once you get an awesome group of people to live together in this town, someone moves. You ever notice that? Like, why did you have to leave? And you're just angry, and you're like, fine, if you get to leave, then I'm going to eventually leave too. And, and just really bad. Just like, you don't, and then you go into community you don't really trust people, like who's going to leave first? <laughs> community doesn't last. And I mean if, if everything else is good for a while, and you have a good run, you have that whole San Andreas movie thing that will probably happen here in the next 10 years. Like this city literally has no lasting foundations, <laughs> literally. And you might be feeling that, you might have lived in the city for a while and you might be feeling that, or even a short while, and you're feeling like this city has no foundations. You're moving from one deal to the next, and one meeting to the next, and one Uber to the next, one job to the next, one bar to the next, one bed to the next. And you're like, this city has no lasting foundation. But no city has a lasting foundation. Not even the promised land has a lasting foundation. I mean, did you get that part? Abraham is in the promised land, and there was no lasting foundation there. Abraham was in the place where God had called him. I am, I feel like, I believe that I'm in the place that God has called me, but this city has no foundation. And Abraham, through the eyes of faith, lived as a stranger there. Abraham had so seen life through the eyes of faith that the writer of Hebrews is saying that when Abraham made it inside the city that God had called him to be, he knew that it wasn't really it. He knew that this isn't it. There's something beyond this. And he just got to know God, by the way. And he sees through the the author of Hebrews is assigning to Abraham a kind of faith that saw through all the circumstances... And everything he can see with his physical eyes. And he said he saw through the eyes of faith that this isn't it. He said, I'm going to wait. I'm actually not going to settle here. I'm going to wait for a city with foundations. I'm going to wait for a city where God has architected it and built it himself. A city that has lasting foundations, that cannot be moved, that is unshakable. And so he didn't settle. He saw his city as secondary and God's city as primary. And so, therefore, he was a blessing, a true blessing to his city. And this was the promise that God gave Abraham. If you, this is my promise to you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you, and then through you, I'm going to bless the world. And so Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. And that only truly really happened because, the writer of Hebrews says, he had this eye of faith unto a heavenly city. Then the writer of Hebrews says that Abraham, what he was truly after was a better country. And then it says a heavenly one. I love the way the writer puts it. It's like, he was looking forward to a better country than the one he was in. He was looking forward to a better place in the promised land. Dash, a heavenly one. Abraham was waiting for heaven. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Abraham was waiting to die to go be with God? That he could not wait to get home to heaven because his home was not here on earth, but in the sky, in the heavens with God. Is that what it's saying? That Abraham could not wait. He lived in the promised land like, oh, I cannot wait to die to go to heaven. Is that what's going on here? That's sometimes what we think when we're like, hey, everyone have a heavenly mind. Like, okay, heavenly mind. I cannot wait to die to go to heaven. Is is, is this saying that Abraham lived in the promised land, but he could not wait to die and go to be where God is in heaven? That's not really what's going on. Look closely. Look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They did not receive the things promised. Only, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Now, as you study the scriptures, it's very important to ask a text, what are you saying and what are you not saying? Let me just break this down for you. It's imp- We have to understand what this is not saying. This is not saying that when they died, they received everything that they were waiting for on earth by dying and going to heaven. Do you notice how it doesn't say that? It doesn't say they were waiting for a heavenly city and then when they died, they got everything they wanted. It doesn't say that. If that were the point of this encouragement, then the writer would have asserted that with their death, their sojourning was completed. With their death, their goal was attained. He doesn't say that. It would have said something like this. All these people were still living by faith when they died, but after they died, they got everything that they always wanted and were promised. It doesn't say that, though. It actually says the opposite. It says they died and they did not receive the things promised. He actually even makes this point even stronger at the end of the chapter in verse 39. He says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. So I guess my point here is this. Listen. This is what it means for Abraham. What it's saying is that Abraham, who lived by faith, looked forward to a better country, a heavenly one. That does not mean that he stayed detached from this world and just waited to die to be with God in heaven. That's not what it means. And I guess my other point is that what it means to have a heavenly hope does not mean that we don't engage with this city and wait until we die to go to heaven. So the question is, how do we have a heavenly hope then? How do we live in this city and have a heavenly hope without saying, okay, one day we're going to fly in the sky and be with God and leave this wretched world behind? How do we have a heavenly hope without having that part of a heavenly hope? Because that's not what Abraham had. How do we do it? How do we live a life of faith? Now, right here, it would be really important for me to define what heaven is. So let me try to define for you what heaven is. Heaven is God's space. Where everything bends to God's will. Where the atmosphere and the air and the gravity of heaven is the will of God. As followers of Jesus, we are citizens of that better country now. Today, Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Or as he puts it in Ephesians 2.6, God has seated us, the followers of Jesus, in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. Meaning? I can no longer really say that my hometown is Bakersfield or that I'm from Bakersfield. The true reality is that my hometown is heaven and I'm from heaven. And our desire as the people of God is for that space, for heaven, God's space, to be where we live full time. Now because we are citizens of that space today, right now, but do not reside there full time, we live in tension. We live in angst. And longing, even suffering. Paul explains this in Philippians 1 where he's like, oh my gosh, I have this longing to be with God and go and be with God. But I know I'm called here on earth and there's this longing because he wants heaven and earth to come together. He longs for the appearing of God. This is what he says in his very last letter he writes to Timothy. He's like, I am going to be where there's a crown waited for me and for everyone who's longed for God's appearing. He wants this this thing to be resolved, heaven and earth to come together. He wants that to happen because he doesn't live where he's a resident full-time. He wants to be a resident there, but he's not. Therefore, we live pilgrim lives. We live lives of sojourners, moving forward until we reach home. Home where God is, where death is a memory and tears are no more. We often translate that to mean escapism, though, and non-engagement. When the reality of that storyline is best understood with one more layer of truth. And here it is. You are right now where you were literally created to be. And where you were literally created for. And where you will eventually spend eternity. Earth. Your future is earth. And your future is in a body. A renewed body on a renewed earth. Or at least you're, like, maybe our home base is earth. And then after that, I don't really know what happens. But what, so what this means is this. We long for heaven, God's space, but we long for heaven to come here. The spirit and the bride say, come. In Acts 2, when Jesus ascends to heaven and the disciples are standing around looking up into the heavens. And they're just looking because Jesus... Went to heaven and got sucked away in a cloud and they're looking there. And they're standing there looking. And they're looking so long that an angel has to show up to move them along. (laughs) Like, hey, guys, what are you guys doing? And he says, why do you stand looking into the sky? Jesus, who has been taken from you to heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Meaning, Jesus is coming back and heaven is coming with him. Heaven will be here because God will be here. And that will be called the new heavens and the new earth. And we long for that day. We long for that day because in that day everything will be made right. And everything will be renewed. And we live in tension because that day is not fully here yet. And what Abraham is commended for is that he saw that reality through the eyes of faith. He saw. What wouldn't be unpacked until Isaiah's vision in Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21 and 22. He saw what the writer of Hebrews, is, is, I think, is saying. Is that Abraham saw through the eyes of faith. Would not, would not be revealed until a long time later in Isaiah. That heaven and earth would come together. And he was longing for the consummation of all things. He was waiting for the consummation of redemption to appear. And so when he got in the promise land, he's like, this isn't it. This is not it. This is where God called me, and I will be faithful here, but this isn't it. I am waiting for God to architect. I'm waiting for a city whose foundations are laid by God, whose design is designed by God, and where everything is in Shalom. I'm waiting for that day, so I will live on this earth as a sojourner. I will not lay down roots. I will wait for a city, and I will wait on God to do that, and I will wait for God here. And this is why, this is why he's commended he moved into the promised land where God had called him to live. And he lived there knowing that it wasn't his true home. That he was waiting for the consummation of the redemption of God to appear. For God to restore everything. For God to renew everything. To bless the whole world. Because that's what God told him would happen. That through Abraham the whole world would be blessed. And Abraham lived unsettled until that happened. And guess what? It never happened. And he lived And he lived. And Abraham lived to be a pretty old guy. And he died not ever having seen it. And he's commended because he kept trusting even though he died. And that's the point of the chapter. But he still worked toward it. And he still waited for it. And he still hoped for it, and he still saw it through the eyes of faith and he died in faith. and he lived here on this old earth, realizing that there are no true foundations until God builds true foundations here. And he had hoped that God will build true foundations here. Heaven and earth will be re- reunited. for those who have faith in Jesus, you and I will be there to witness it. So what we do by faith is orient our lives toward the city that is to come. We orient our lives. Towards the city that is to come. Tell people about the city that is to come. Dream about the city that is to come. Work towards the city that is to come. And we work toward it today. Lives of faith are defined by obedience. And defined by sacrifice and hope that God will make this city new. And not just this city, but the whole world. And what we do is we confess. And this is what Abraham did. He confessed that he was a sojourner. He confessed that this is not my home. He confessed it in the sense that this, the world the way it is, is not not it. And what we have to do, guys, is is start confessing this. We have to confess that we are foreigners in this town, that we wear that, that we own that, that we are foreigners in San Francisco. We are foreigners who live here, who pay taxes here, who work towards shalom here. Who are stingy with our sex, but generous with our money here. Who tell people about Jesus here. And if they say that we're strange, we tell them, well, it's because we're not really from here. That's the point. They're strange. Sojourners. They don't like, they, they live here, but they don't like put all their hope here. And they work towards this place, but they work towards it in this detached way where their like, thing that they're doing isn't everything. The everything thing is the kingdom of God. That's everything to them. And they love it and they hope for it and they pray for it and they talk about it and they witness, they witness that I am a citizen of a coming city that will be here and it will be renewed city and a renewed city and I see it and I'm working toward it and I'm praying for that. All the power and all authority to live this life oriented towards the city to come is only done by Jesus. Jesus who wept over his own city and said, if you knew this day what would bring your peace and then made his way into that city to be condemned and then crucified outside the city gates. You see, Jesus died to redeem a people out of this city to free us of all the things we think we need but actually end up enslaving us only to send us back into the city by the power of his spirit to bear witness of a city that is to come. And to bear witness like Christ bore witness. We don't say we are citizens of the city to come and we will through military force and through like all this like force to bring, that's not what this is saying. We embody the city that is to come like Jesus did by laying down his life for the city. For the sake of the city of God. And then it says at the end, therefore... God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Like God looks at us with lives that are oriented toward a city to come, lives that are oriented no matter what suffering, what like things we have to say no to, what things we have to resist, all the feelings we feel, whatever it is, and we have our hope. What, What we have for us is a God that says, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. They're mine and I'm theirs. And I'm not ashamed of that. I've prepared a city for them. And it's going to blow their minds. And they're living into it now. And people in their city think that they're a little bit strange and a little bit off. If we're anything, church, if we're anything, we have to be a taste of what that kingdom will be like. If we are not, we're nothing. We're just a bunch of people that stand up in a room and sing weird songs. We have to be a little taste. We have to be a little glimpse, a little pocket of that coming city in this city. Let's pray.